This podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And today we're going to talk about some Killbots. We are, yes. First, we're going to do the movie challenge, which is the 1986 movie Chopping Mall. And then we're going to come bang up to date. We're going to take on the streaming services and it's Netflix's very recent thriller, The Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams. And for this episode's movie challenge, we're going back to 1986 and it's Jim Wynorski's Chopping Mall, which is a comedy horror sci-fi movie, which has the following synopsis. A group of young shopping mall employees stay behind for a late night party in one of the stores. When the mall goes on lockdown before they can get out, the robot security system malfunctions and the robots go on a killing spree. Yeah, this was thoroughly entertaining. So this is my first viewing of Chopping Mall. It was a title I've been aware of for a long time um, since I've been a horror fan, but never got around to seeing it. And I went in completely blind, not knowing what to expect. And it was actually very different to what I was expecting because I, for some reason, had it in my head it was going to be a typical masked slasher type movie, just based on the title alone. But yeah, never judge a book by its cover. Because this was even more epic because it was killer bots. And I just thought that just added to the hilarity of it. So it kind of falls into all the trappings of your typical slasher movie. You have teenagers who are misbehaving, they're having sex, they're drinking. And of course, you know where this is going. It's a lot of fun. It's basically like switch your brain off type movie and just enjoy it. Just go with it. The premise is bonkers but it just works and it has some really great kills and we get a head explosion which is really awesome I think that was like the kind of most spectacular kill in the whole movie and um, it's great and then you get a guy getting electrocuted and there's some really like old school effects going on there I mean it is a B movie through and through it makes no apologies for that and it is produced by the king of that subgenre which is Roger Corman and I believe he um, sat down with the director and went over the script with him. They got it out really quickly, I think. I think yeah, it only they took, did. Like, yeah, didn't they write it in something like 48 hours or something like that and I, shot in 24 days? Yeah, I think, the first, I think the first draft was something like 48 hours. I think they spent four or five weeks actually finishing the script off, but then it was, it was about 22, 24 days, the, the shoot in total. I think 20 days of that was at the Sherman Oaks Mall and two days were in the studio. I mean, it doesn't really have the feel of something that was shot on the fly. It's professionally done. It's low budget, obviously, and certainly there are bits in the movie where 
it's not as spectacular as it could be because they just don't have the resources to do it. But the effects are decent. It doesn't look particularly threadbare. They've got some decent performances in it as well. I mean, they've got Barbara Crampton turning up as well, post-reanimator. They've got uh, Kelly Maroney out at Night of the Comics. So the cast is pretty decent. And you've got people like Dick Miller putting in a cameo as, as a really cranky old cleaner. And they've got uh, Paul Bartell and Mary Warrenoff, who seem to be playing the same characters they played in Eating Raoul a few years before. So it's kind of poking fun at different movies. I mean, it's really not meant to be taken seriously, this. I don't think there's any kind of serious or malicious intent. It's just a very, very daft movie. Yeah, like it does have some mean-spirited moments, as all these kind of films do, but it's very tongue-in-cheek. It's it's basically like a schlock film. That is literally the best way to describe it. It's, you know, works on a low budget and it works within its means. And I think that's what um, Roger Corman's ethos was all about. So that's what he implemented with the director in making this. But yeah, it's just silly fun. And another fun fact about it, which ties in with our podcast a bit as well, is it was shot in the same mall that Commando was shot in as well. So it's kind of cool that you've got like Arnold Schwarzenegger kicking some ass in there and then you've got these killer robots and like why there hasn't been a crossover, I don't know. But I think we need that. Yeah, Arnie V robots would be a good one. The robots, they suffer from the usual B-movie cliche in that um, they are ostensibly incredibly lethal robots, but they can't shoot straight quite a lot of the time. There's an extended shootout between the robots and the guys and nobody hits anything. Regardless of the fact that there's, there's bullets flying around, the robots are firing lasers, nobody gets hit at that point. Whereas previously it had managed to, well, as spoilers, I mean, if you're a bit of a Barbara Crampton fan, she's not around for all that long in this movie. After about 45 minutes of this, she gets um, shot in the back and then unceremoniously set on fire. So it's a pretty spectacular death, but... If you're expecting Barbara Crampton to make it to the end of this, I'm sorry, guys, she doesn't. I was thinking of you during that scene. I don't know how you'd be able to console yourself. It's like, but... oh, Barbara, no! <laughs> yeah, she's great in it. Well, she's great in everything she does. So, um, But it was, yeah, nice to see her in it. Um, yeah, the cast are pretty decent. It's just very much stereotypical horror movie-style teenagers. They're all up for drinking and having sex, having a good time. And then, of course... You've got the um, main protagonist. She's more of the straight-laced final girl that we'd seen in the genre up until that point. Then she has, like, a geeky boyfriend. Well, kind of, like, love interest that's kind of heading towards that as well. So they're the ones who are kind of sitting there enjoying a Roger Corman movie, of course, while the others are all having sex in the different beds not too far apart from each other which is a little bit uh, yeah, that's a, a bit strange. Yeah, that's a bit weird because they're in this department store and they're in one bit of this department store and there's three couples clearly having sex and then there's Kelly Maroney and the other guy who is sitting watching Attack of the Crab Monsters and they don't seem particularly phased that like there are people humping around them. Call me old-fashioned, but if I was trying to watch a movie and there were people having sex around me, I'd be thinking, no, this is really putting me off. Especially if it was something like Attack of the Crab Monsters, because I'd need something to really focus my attention. But they seem to be having a pretty good time with it. But um, this is a movie, of course. People in movies are not distracted by things like this. They watch one of their friends have a, have a head blown up. And where it is, it causes some distress. 
she's not thought of very long before they've gone on to the next set piece. So it is a movie in which it, it exists in its own particularly weird universe. But, you know, people behave in slightly heightened ways. But you do get the cliche where, you know, the guy loses his girlfriend and then goes off on a bit of a rampage. He doesn't last very long. His desire for revenge is his undoing. And he ends up getting pitched off a, um, I think it's the third floor. Anyway, he, he dies from a very high fall. I mean, the deaths in this are just ridiculous. They are quite entertaining and some of them are quite gory. But I think for any hardcore horror fans, it's not going to trouble them. And for people who are not particularly into horror, apart from one or two moments, I think most people are going to spend their time giggling through this rather than being particularly upset or scared. Yeah, I can see this being a bit more accessible for non-horror fans as well. I, I could definitely put it on with like some of my group of friends who might not be into the genre, and I think we'd have a good time with it. It's the kind of movie that's reminiscent of that video rental era as well. It's got that going for it. And also, I think it would play really well in a festival, in like a midnight movie slot. It's that kind of movie you want at the end of the day, have a few drinks and just have a laugh. It's, it's just got all those elements to it. The original title was actually Killbots um, before they changed it to Chopping Mall because it just didn't perform very well with test audiences. Now, Killbots is a more accurate title for it, but I see from, from a marketing standpoint why they went with Chopping Mall because obviously it's to um, appeal to that slasher audience. The movie poster is quite interesting because, again, back in those days, there was like really creative movie posters for horror films. And more often than not, the poster would be better than the actual content of the movie itself. Chopping Mall has basically this robotic hand holding a bag um, with some body parts in it. But yeah, it's not exactly a reflection of the robots in the film at all. So don't go in expecting that. <laughs> no, the body parts in the bag does not appear in the movie. And the robot hand isn't like the robots in the movie there. They're very much, uh, you know, the kind of tracked units with kind of a they don't really have faces they've got this light it's like it's like if kit had a psychotic baby off night rider they're kind of rolling around like this killbots was an interesting title and you're right it does reflect the movie more but i think that the marketing people thought that folks would reckon it was something like a transformers movie that it was aimed more at kids and it was more to do with the technology and it would be fighting robots rather than robots that uh slashing people's throats and um, shooting people in a, in a shopping mall. Oh, and, and electrocuting janitors as well. I think Killbots was slightly longer as well. I think the original cut of Chopping Mall was, I think, about 90 minutes, and they removed about quarter of an hour, which I think does it a lot of favours, because at 76 minutes long, you can't get bored. Once it gets going, it really does move. There's not really an awful lot of fat on it there's a couple of pauses for reflection on people who've been hideously murdered by the robots but then it's just back to the next set piece and the next person dying or something blowing up or a store getting shot to pieces so it's fun i do remember seeing this on vhs and it was one of those perfect vhs movies oddly enough i didn't think this was much good when i first saw it on vhs probably because i was seeing so much stuff at the time and I think I was probably expecting something that I didn't get. So I was really going down the 
grimy, dirty slasher route. And then I got this rather silly movie about robots going around a shopping mall. And at the time, I don't remember being particularly impressed. Over the years, I've actually come to appreciate it a lot more. I realise it was a far better movie than I'd given it credit for to start with. And now I can watch Chopping Mall pretty much any time because it's the perfect length. You don't really need to spend an awful lot of time in its company. It's quite pleasant in its own little way. And then you can leave it for a few months and then you can come back to it. I would like to see it with a festival audience. I think it would really be great at a late showing in a festival because... It's just the sort of thing that an audience can get to grips with and participate. And I think there's room for bad behaviour in this movie. I don't think you would want the audience to be quiet so you can appreciate the intricacies of the plot because there aren't any. I think it's a movie where you would shout at the screen and make comments all the way through it because it's that sort of movie. Yeah, it could definitely suit maybe Bad Film Club as well, that kind of um, style. I think that would be really fun to see it as part of um, one of their shows. Looking on Rotten Tomatoes, it's only got a 39% audience score, which is a little bit harsh. I think it deserves a bit more than that because this is very much an audience movie. I think that's harsh, 39%. Considering some of the other things on Rotten Tomatoes that get higher percentages. I mean, yes, it's cheesy and it's low budget and some of it's patently ridiculous, like the scene where they're trying to con the robots by standing in a bunch of mannequins. Now, how the robots can't tell human beings from mannequins. I mean, it is, it's patently ridiculous. But at the same time, the movie isn't saying it isn't ridiculous. It's almost kind of daring you to say, like, well, this is even more stupid than it was 10 minutes ago. It's just fun. It's throwaway entertainment. And it's the sort of thing that I'm sure it was, it was perfect fodder for Friday nights. You had a couple of beers. You rented a copy of Chopping Mall. You put it on. You enjoyed it then you completely forgot about it. It's not a movie that might linger long in the memory, but I don't care. I don't need it to. Every time I watch it, I do get reminded of certain bits in the movie. It's not going to change the face of horror cinema. It never was intended to do that. It was a quickie, low-budget movie that did its job. It's got some decent performances. It's got some good effects. It's fun. It's out of there in an hour and a quarter. So I, I don't see what the problem is. Yeah, it knows exactly what it wants to be, and that really works in its favour. It doesn't try and be like overly clever or, you know, tries to be some sort of like postmodern piece or anything like that. It just knows what it wants to be. It's just there to entertain. Yeah. And as a horror fan, you should definitely see it. So if you would like to watch Chopping Wall, it is available to rent on Amazon Prime um, very cheaply. So if you're fancying a bit of fun slasher, 80s cheese just go for it and rent it off amazon prime yeah with a caveat that one sequence if you're not into spiders or snakes there's one sequence in a pet store which might creep you out a little bit it's not very long but any arachnophobes in the audience just a bit of a warning for that and luckily the puppies were safe that was my main concern i was fine with the tarantulas as long as the puppies were okay, I thought, no, I'm not. Go- I'm going to go off these robots in a second if they do anything to these puppies. I don't care what they do to the humans. <laughs> so watch Chopping Mall, have fun with it. We had a great time, so I'm sure you will too.
And the second movie in this episode, we're moving over to the streaming services. We're going over to Netflix, and it's a very recent addition to their slate of films. It's The Woman in the Window, starring Amy Adams. So The Woman in the Window is about an agoraphobic woman living alone in New York who begins spying on her new neighbours only to witness a disturbing act of violence. So this is the kind of plot that unfortunately is a bit overdone in the thriller genre. Don't go into this expecting anything particularly special. It's a good film. It's There's nothing bad about it in the slightest. It's just a little bit too predictable. It kind of plays on that whole rear window premise and it knows it. that's what it is. So this is based on a novel as well. I need to add that in. Um, I haven't read the novel. I've just seen the movie, so I can't compare. But it's very much kind of in the vein as well of um, something like Girl on the Train with that unreliable narrator. Yeah. It's psychological and it plays with the audience um, in the sense of like, can we trust what's going on? Is it go- is it going on in the main character's mind or did this really happen? It's very much of that ilk and it's very, very tropey. So as I say, Good film, but nothing outstanding in my eyes, unfortunately. What did you think, Darren? Uh, Same here. I think what rescues it is the cast. The cast is absolutely brilliant in this. You've got Amy Adams, you've got Gary Oldman, you've got uh, Brian Tyree Henry, you've got Jennifer Jason Leigh, you've got Julianne Moore, uh, you've got Wyatt Russell. So the cast is absolutely great. And I think they elevate the material you're right about it being based on the book and, and you're right about it being in that kind of girl on the train vein because I think once the girl on the train was a big hit, I think there were not copycat books, but I think there were books pitched at the same kind of audience and with the same kind of dilemmas in there. And I think this was part of the second wave of those series of books. I haven't read the book either. It is very much in that style. Rear Window really does come into play. In fact, there's a still from Rear Window right at the start of the movie when it's going through the house, it's on a screen on a laptop, and it happens to be one of the stills from Rear Window itself. So the movie knows what it's referencing. There's a few nods to Hitchcock here and there. There's a shot down a flight of stairs, which could be from Vertigo. It's nodding there without actually ripping off Hitchcock completely. It knows where it's pitching itself. The plot... It draws you in by having the, f- the first 20 minutes where it's setting up a lot of possibilities and you don't know where it's going, which is quite intriguing. And then the second act draws you in a little bit more and then drops a massive twist on you about an hour in, which leads you to question everything you've seen previously in that first hour. Where it fails for me is the final act, because I think the reveal isn't particularly strong. The actual reveal of what's been going on is a bit weak i was expecting something a little bit more clever and when i actually found out what had been going on it's fine and it's logical and it works but it's not much of a twist i completely agree the um final act really does let it down i was highly disappointed with the reveal itself it just goes into predictable territory. We've seen the scenario done a hundred times before. There was nothing earth shattering about it. Nothing that makes you sort of gasp, hold on to the edge of your seat. There was none of that. It was just like, oh, okay, this is what happens. And um, one thing I will say in its favor, 
you know on this podcast we both hate a certain lazy trope that involves killing off your pets or animals now when this movie started amy adams's character has this beautiful white fluffy cat and i was like right i'm going on does the dog die.com just to be on the safe side so i checked it and then breathed a sigh of relief when i was like oh my god they don't go with that trope so the cat survives at one point i thought the cat had been plotting everything as well there was one <laughs> moment where i was like is it the cat that might have been more entertaining and out of left field and i would have enjoyed that but yeah so one thing as i say it does in its credit it avoids the lazy trope and i was really really happy about that yeah it makes you think at one point that the cat's been done away with and you think oh here we go again they've got a cat in and the first thing they're going to do is do away with it but it comes back a bit later on so I was quite pleased that it subverts that particular trope. It's one of the only tropes it does subvert, unfortunately. It's not a bad movie. I've seen some people absolutely slate this on places like IMDb, and I've seen reviews elsewhere which say it's absolutely terrible and it's a blot on Amy Adams' career and that she should fire her agent for putting her in this movie. It's not that bad. I've seen far worse than this. I've seen far worse than this this week. So, yeah, I think when you see the, a cast of this quality, you're going to be expecting something a bit special and you don't get something that's particularly special. But you get a decent enough thriller if you're willing to put aside the fact that it hangs together just about and that the last 20 minutes are pretty ridiculous and not especially suspenseful given the build up. It's fine. I think people were just going in expecting this amazing twisty thriller with a real knock-you-for-a-loop ending, and it's not. It gives you something that you've seen before, but I don't think it completely undermines what's gone before. And if you're going to watch it, Amy Adams is great in it. She really does sell the movie. She's great as this flaky, agrophobic character who you're not quite sure where she's going next. Her mind's all over the place. She's not especially sympathetic in places, but you're still quite engaged by her. And the rest of the cast is really good. Julianne Moore's great. Gary Oldman, a bit underused, but he's still fine. It's professionally done, and I think it shows that there's clearly problems with how the movie was made, because apparently they had to go and reshoot because the original cut was too confusing. Now, I think if the original cut was too confusing, they've made it so straightforward that it's a massive letdown at the end because you think, I was expecting something else. And even when they revealed what was going on at the end, I was still expecting, yeah, but there must be something else on the back of this. And there wasn't. So I kind of thought, yeah. I mean, I, I do like my thrillers and I do like my thrillers to have a really good satisfying twist to them and this just didn't fit the bill but having said that it's okay it's it's watchable i i don't understand the hate for this movie no i don't either um, i'm just looking on rotten tomatoes as we speak and it's got a 37 percent audience score which is two percent lower than chopping wall <laughs> it's it's not that bad i can i understand where people are coming from they're just disappointed with it but that does not mean it's a bad movie as you say, Amy Adams gives a really gritty performance in this. She is outstanding. Again, Julianne Moore, she's brilliant. 
Um, I agree about Gary Oldman. He's not in it as much as he could be, but he facilitates that role that he's playing in it anyway. And, you know, he's good. Everybody is. There's nothing, no flaws in the acting. It's just people's expectations and going in thinking, as you say, they're going to get this, you know, really suspenseful, twisted thriller. And it's just not that. It's just so run of the mill. I mean, I was disappointed with it, but I didn't dislike it. I didn't think, oh, well, it's a waste of time me watching it because I still got something out of it and it has a cute cat. It does, yeah. Punch the cat is very cute <laughs> and steals most of the scenes that it's in. But I thought the first hour was good. I was really intrigued by the first hour. I was I was gripped by that opening 60 minutes. It's just that the last half hour or so really lets it down. I think the movie to a certain extent, had its own curse following it around as well because it was delayed because of the pandemic. It was delayed again when Fox was sold to Disney. It was delayed again. So I think the odds were stacking up against this movie anyway. And I think by the time it came out, maybe it had missed the boat in terms of that sort of thriller. So by the time it hits Netflix in 2021, it was the sort of thing that we were watching maybe 2018, 2019, so it seems a little bit out of time and it doesn't seem to be the kind of thriller that we're expecting now. Having said that, it's okay. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend wholeheartedly this movie, but I would also not be pushing people away from it because if you know what you're going to get and you want a fairly undemanding thriller with some decent performances... This fits the bill perfectly well. You're right. I think people wanted something that this movie was never going to be. And when it didn't hit all the expectations of those people, then the first thing that they did was like, right, we're going we're gonna to have it in for this movie now. So we're just going to go and trash it, which is a bit mean, really. It's not terrible. It's, it's a long way from great, but it isn't awful. I mean, people are giving it like one out of five. To these people, I'm saying, well, what movies have you been watching this year? Because I can show you some one out of five movies, and they are far worse than The Woman in the Window. I mean, far worse. <laughs> After seeing those, they'll probably be crying out to rewatch Woman in the Window. <laughs> but I'm just wondering if, as viewers, we are completely spoilt with the content that's out nowadays. We have so much streaming services available, and... There's a lot of episodic thrillers out there as well, and we become invested and all that. And I suppose if the twist ends up becoming an anti anticlimax, I think that's you know where it lets them. I, I know I've watched some things on Netflix and that series wise where I've really enjoyed it, and then the ending lets it down. And I just think there's too much hype, there's too much pressure on like the filmmakers to keep up this momentum, and. It's just, yeah, I'm wondering if that is kind of a factor as to why people were let down by this movie in, in a way. It's possible, because I think if something doesn't stick the landing, that's what people are going to remember. They're not going to remember the first two acts that were perfectly fine and had some good performances and some good suspense and a couple of twists. What they're going to remember is, oh, I was really disappointed by that ending, and they'll come out feeling a bit deflated and not really look back on the movie as a whole and think, well, you know what, two-thirds of this was okay. It was just the last third that wasn't much cop. And I think there is that leap to either heat praise or criticise stuff these days. Just 
because of who's in it and the hype surrounding it. Things like Army of the Dead. I've not seen Army of the Dead, but Zack Snyder's a really good case in point. I don't think there's a point at which now where you can go into a Zack Snyder movie cold because you've just got so much opinion about it. People who even haven't seen Army of the Dead are saying, well, it's Zack Snyder, so it's going to be crap. Or it's Zack Snyder, so it's going to be amazing. And I'm just thinking, well, just watch the movie first and then make up your mind rather than have this predetermined idea about how it's going to be. But yeah, I think there's a lot more demand put on filmmakers these days because there's so much content about and that if people are not completely satisfied and it doesn't hit all the buttons for them like say the end of game of thrones like the the number of people that thought the end of game of thrones was disappointing it's like well you know the writer has got to end it how the writer wants to end it and i'm sorry that's how it is i'm all for a bit of fan service but there's a point at which it can't be to satisfy everybody in the audience because that never works i understand why people were disappointed with this What I don't understand is why people were really, really trashing it. It's creaky. I didn't think the twist was any good. I don't think it's the best written thriller I've seen by a long shot. But if I'd have gone and seen this in a cinema, I'd have come out thinking, yeah, there could have been worse things I could have been doing for 100 minutes. This was fine. I completely agree with you. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 25 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. Thank you very much, everyone. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, we are on all the platforms, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. So if you'd like to let us know what you think of the films we cover, um, send us any comments or tweets, that would be much appreciated. And we hope you continue to enjoy our episodes. So we're getting to the summer now. Everybody's heading to the seaside, enjoying ice cream and all that good stuff. But there's something lurking in the water, something deadly, something with fins. So for this summer, the HD Movie Podcast is proud to present a series of episodes entitled Summer of Sharks. I'm so excited for this. I'm going to broaden my shark movie education. It's very exciting. Hope you guys love shark movies because we're going to get through quite a lot of them. You've got to start with the daddy of shark movies. You can't do a shark movie retrospective without the most famous shark movie of all time. I'm, of course, referring to Sharknado 6. No, sorry, no, I'm, I'm referring to Jaws, Steven Spielberg's mega movie, which catapulted any number of actors to fame and made the biggest star of a fake shark called Bruce. So we're <laughs> going to be covering this iconic movie in the next episode. Yeah, so tune in for that. Hope you enjoy it. And I know we're going to enjoy revisiting Jaws, as it is an absolute classic. Until then, stay safe. Thank you for listening. See you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bain. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.